Well, welcome to Seacoast Church. My name is Lynn Stroy, and I am excited about this weekend because this weekend is Dream Team Weekend. Can I get a rowdy applause for our Dream Team? Come on. Our dream team are the men and women and students across all of our physical campuses and church online that make this place feel like a home. They create the environment for us to worship God. There are people like Brad and Tiffany hanging up in the Greenville campus who serve on the Kids Coast check-in team. They are greeting families, especially new families, helping them have a great experience while they're getting their kids into church. There are people like Brad Jackson up in our Columbia campus leading the safety team so that that campus can worship in safety. He also serves on the guest services team. He is the first one there. Pastor Matt says he's one of the last people to leave and he does it with a great attitude. And this weekend is dedicated to the hundreds of people just like them across all of our campuses. And we wanna invite you to be part of the team, be part of creating the environment where people experience God and they feel like a part of his family. So uh, your campus pastor at all of your campuses, if you're online, Pastor Ryan and the chat and the Dream Team are gonna tell you how to get involved. If you're at a physical campus, you're gonna see um, Dream Team members wearing stickers. You're gonna see the serve card and it's gonna list on the back of it all of the ways that you can serve. And I wanna encourage you, don't leave this weekend. Don't log off on whatever platform you are on without getting involved in the Dream Team. I started serving on the Dream Team 13 years ago. And when I started, my motivation for doing it was simply because someone invited me to lunch and started talking about um, the admin Dream Team, and she knew at the time that I was a paralegal. And so she was just connecting the gifts and talents that I was using in the workplace and giving me vision for how I could use that in the church. And so I just said yes, just because somebody took an interest in me, noticed my gifts and talents, and invited me to serve with them. But very quickly, I realized that there was something more to serving, and my motivation changed. I started to love to be a part of creating this environment where people were having the same heart and life change that I was experiencing. Everything about how I served, when I served, where I served changed because my motivation changed. So what are you motivated by? What is it that motivates you in your family, in your job, with your friends? What motivates you? So we're going to have a little crowd participation. And I want you guys to think about the most popular Bible verse that people who are believers and even some non-believers might be familiar with this verse. And I want you, wherever you are, even at the Asheville campus, I want you to scream out the reference to that Bible verse. What's the most popular verse? In unison. I don't know what happened in Manning, but here in Mount Pleasant, everybody said that in unison. John 3, 16. And I want us to read this verse out loud together. And so our dream team who run production, they're going to throw it up on the screen and we're all going to read this verse together. Here we go. For God. Whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) We're all going to read the verse together. So here we go. For God was so angry with the world. Oh, you guys stopped. Is it not on the screen? 
No, it's up there. It's up there. Let's try that again. And Conway, stick with me. Read it out loud. If you're on your couch in your pajamas wrapped up in a blanket, you read that with us again. We're going to try it again. Here we go. For God grudgingly loaned the world his one. I feel like I'm saying something different than you guys are saying. I know I'm saying something different than you guys are saying. I'm intentionally saying the wrong words. Why? Because motivation matters. What would it be like if you received the same gift, the gift of salvation, but you received it because God was angry at the world? It's the same gift, but how would it feel if you got it because God loaned it to you and expected you to pay it back in full with interest? The same gift, but it changes everything about our salvation and our faith. It changes everything about our relationship with him. Motivation matters. So let's pray as we continue our service. Father God, thank you that you gave us your one and only son, not because you were angry, but because you so loved us. And Lord, we're here to hear your word. And we just say, we're here, we're listening, speak to us, we're your servants, and we're gonna follow wherever you go. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Motivation matters. And that's been a recurring theme over the past several weeks as we have been in this series called Jesus on Blank, where we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous sermon, and we're taking it verse by verse, looking at what Jesus has to say about certain topics. And we've seen that motivation has been a recurring theme throughout these verses, and today is no different. Today, we're in Matthew chapter six, in verses one through four, where Jesus is talking about giving to those in need. And this is what he says. Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do it as hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth. They have already received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. Now, notice Jesus doesn't say, if you give to the needy. He says, when you give to the needy. There's an assumption, there's an expectation here that we are going to give to the needy. And let's remember who his audience is. They're the Jewish people, the people who were given the law and they would have known the law and heard the law. And remember, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. Back in chapter five, Jesus tells us that I did not come to abolish the law or the demands of the prophet, to, but to fulfill them. So we know that he's about to tell them something that's part of the law that they would have already heard that they should already be doing. But he's saying, hey, I'm not coming to tell you to stop doing these things, but I'm going to give you a clear vision for what it looks like to embody these things. So let's take a look at the law. Let's quickly go through a couple of verses that show us what the law says about giving to those in need. Leviticus 19, when you harvest the crops of the land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of the field and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. And it is the same with your grape crop. Do not strip every last bunch of grapes from the vines and do not pick up the grapes that fall on the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord, your God. Leviticus 25. 
If one of your fellow Israelites falls into poverty and cannot support himself, support him as you would a foreigner or a temporary resident and allow him to live with you. Do not charge interest or make a profit at his expense. Instead, show your fear of God by letting him live with you as your relative. Remember, do not charge interest on the money you lend or make a profit on the food you sell him. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to the land of Canaan to, and to be your God. Deuteronomy 15. But if there are any poor Israelites in your towns, when you arrive in the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Instead, be generous and lend them whatever they need. Do not be mean-spirited and refuse to someone alone because the year for canceling debts is close at hand. If you refuse to make a loan and the needy person cries out to God, you will be considered guilty of sin. Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. There will always be some in the land who are poor. That is why I'm commanding you to share freely with the poor and with the other Israelites in need. So out of the gate, Jesus is teaching us that giving to the needy is a characteristic of righteousness. Giving to those in need is a characteristic of righteousness. So how did I make that leap from giving to those in need is a command of the law to it being a characteristic of righteousness? Well, let's go back to verse one. Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. That phrase, do good deeds, can also be translated as a practice of righteousness. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of, the, in front of others to be seen by them. So giving to those in need is a way to show that our righteousness is being lived out. But Jesus is saying, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the hypocrites. What's a hypocrite? A person who does one thing, but what they're doing doesn't line up with what they believe or how they feel. So what Jesus is saying is that these people actually have the appearance of righteousness, but they're not actually righteous. Because righteousness isn't a thing that you are because of the things that you do. And they're doing all the right things. They're doing the things that are commanded by the law, but they're not doing them because of the heart of the law. So what's the heart of the law? Jesus sums it up. He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Catch this. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. The entire law and everything that all of the prophets that the Israelites had ever heard demanded from them was based on love God and love people. It was based on love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that Jesus gave up his life as a ransom for many, a many who didn't deserve it and couldn't do anything to pay it back. So that when we believe in our hearts and confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord, we are saved and we receive the righteousness of Christ. God looks at us and he sees his perfect son. And then we go out 
And we do things as righteous people because of what is inside of us. And what's inside of us? The Holy Spirit. And what is a fruit of the Holy Spirit? Love. Love, the thing that all of the law and all of the demands of the prophets is summed up on, that they hang on, that they are purposed by. Love. And so that we give out of love. It's a fruit of righteousness, and giving to those in need is an act of love. So giving to those in need is a characteristic of righteousness. Okay, so what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Well, we look in our lives. We open our planners or our calendars. We open our checkbooks. If you were born in the 80s and you still have a checkbook, and which I do, <laughs> and I use it, <laughs> and, and we see, what does my time look like? What do my finances look like? Am I consistently giving to those in need? Is giving to those in need a part of my life? And if the answer to that question is no, then there are some other questions we have to ask ourselves. And this is a self-evaluation. This isn't a reading this scripture and starting to think about all the people in culture or on social media that are violating this. Jesus is not talking to, to you judging other people. He is talking to us individually. So we have to ask the question, if I am not giving to those in need regularly, is it possible that I don't understand my neediness and the love and generosity that God has given me? Is it possible that I haven't wrestled and received that gift of love? Because that's where it begins. It is hard to love people if you don't love God. In fact, the word says that you can't say you love God and hate your neighbor. The love of God is not in you. And so in order to love people, you've got to get this relationship with God right. But maybe that's not you. Maybe you're like, Lynn, I understand my neediness. I understand what Jesus did for me. I do have a love of God. When I see people in need, I am moved to compassion. My heart aches for them. But if you're still not giving, then maybe you need to ask another question. Are you overwhelmed by the need around you? Or do you feel like, you know, I'm really more of the receiver. I don't have very much to give. I have a lot of needs. And so I'm overwhelmed with what's going on around me or I can't give anything. And I wanna encourage you, do for one what you wish you could do for many. You cannot give to everyone in this world, but you can make an impact. There are thousands of sea coasters over the world. If every one of us was doing something in private to one person, Thousands of people would be impacted. Do for one what you wish you could do for all. And this law wasn't written for people in a certain tax bracket. Jesus isn't talking to people at a certain level of wealth. He's talking to everyone because no matter how much we have, God has placed something in our hands. And he doesn't care about the amount that you give. Remember, it's about the motivation. He just cares that you give. Or maybe you have to ask yourself if you've put any boundaries around your comfort or your convenience. Have you put boundaries around your comfort and your convenience? This is the one that gets me. Several months ago, I saw an individual, and it didn't take me very long to realize that they were living on the streets. They didn't have a home. 
And it broke my heart. And immediately God gave me this vision for a way that I could serve them. I can't change the circumstance, but I can do something to meet a need in the moment. And he gave me a vision for a way that I would always be ready to meet a need if I encountered someone in the same circumstance. And so a week went by, a couple of weeks went by, a month went by, several months went by, and then I was preparing for this message on giving to those in need, and I'd still not done the thing that God had put on my heart to do. And so I had to stop. I had to put the message down, and I had to say, why haven't I done this? I know how I felt when I saw that person in need. I know what you've told me to do. Why haven't I done it? And the reality is I'd let my tidy little plan for every day, for every week, my comfort, my convenience, my schedule, I had prioritized it over loving people well. Maybe you resonate with that. Maybe you resonate with what I've done or another one of those questions. Whatever it is, I want to invite you today I want to invite you in the days and weeks ahead to ask the question, am I giving to those in need? And if I'm not giving to those in need, why? And and as you're thinking about that, I want you to factor in motivation. Because like I said, the expectation from Jesus is that we are going to give to those in need. But he's also teaching us that giving is more about the why than the what. Giving is more about the why than the what. Lynn, why does it matter why I give if a need is being met? If a good thing is done, why does it matter why I did it? And that's a fair question. Let's go back to Matthew 6 when Jesus is telling us not to be like those hypocrites who, who blow trumpets in synagogues and in streets so that they can draw attention to their need. At that time, there was a cultural practice going on. And this cultural practice was anytime there was a need, they would blow a trumpet called a shofar, and it was large at one end, and it would get smaller. Some of them would curve, and it would make a loud sound. And when there was a need, they would blow it, and then the people were in the habit of running to the synagogue or running to the sound of the trumpet to give to the need. They made a big show about it. They wanted to be the first person there. They wanted to be seen as the first person there because it attracted attention. And so that's one thing that Jesus is talking about. Another thing that he's talking about when he says blowing your trumpet is that the chest in the synagogue where they would collect the alms, where they would collect the coins, the money for people in need, those were made out of metal. And so people would come with their coins and it was shaped like a trumpet. It was shaped like a shofar. Big at the top, small at the bottom. And they would make a practice of taking their coins and slamming them in so that people would hear, and that people would not just hear that they gave, but how much they gave. Now, those coins only rattled for a couple of seconds when I dropped them in this bowl, but imagine if this bowl were longer and it got smaller and the coins just had to circle down to the bottom. They wanted everybody to know how much they gave. They wanted to make a show out of it. But again, the need was met. The hungry were fed, people were clothed. What's the big deal? Have you ever been given a gift by someone, someone, something that you needed that you couldn't do for yourself and they gave it to you and then afterwards, every time you were in a group of people, they brought that gift up? Have you ever experienced that? 
Oh, some people are laughing, they have. Um, And how did that make you feel? Over and over and over. And you start to think, well, this might not have even been worth getting it. It's a big deal because our motivation for giving to those in need directly impacts their dignity. It directly impacts their dignity. And that's a big deal because all of the law and all of the demands of the prophet are based on love. And love honors. If you love people, you honor people. So motivation matters. It's a big deal. It's also a big deal because you can't serve two masters. You cannot serve two masters. So these people, as Jesus said, they went to the synagogues, they dropped the things in there, and they made that show because they loved the praise of people. They were doing it for the praise of people. Well, there's another place in Scripture where right before it's the week leading up to the cross, It's right before the Last Supper. And John is telling us that there are a lot of Jewish people who didn't believe in God and Jesus, even though they'd seen him do all of these miraculous signs. But then he goes on to say, even though the Jewish people as a whole wouldn't believe Jesus in John 12, many people did believe him, however, including some of the Jewish leaders. But they wouldn't admit it. They wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than the praise of God. They loved human praise more than the praise of God. That same motivation that made some people all too willing to appear righteous is the same motivation that later on made people refuse to be righteous if it meant that they were going to suffer. The same motivation can end in a good thing today and take you in the complete opposite direction tomorrow. Motivation matters. It's a big deal. And listen, it's a hard tension to navigate. It's a hard tension to navigate. Attention feels good. The praise of people has an immediate payoff. And sometimes the things of God, the spiritual things, the eternal things, they take a little bit more time. It's attention. And Jesus recognizes that. That's why he starts with watch out, beware, be careful. Before he even starts the subject, he warns us. So it stands to reason that he's giving us a warning because he knows that this is an easy thing to slip into if we're not paying attention. So we have to ask ourselves, whose attention do I value most? Whose attention do I prioritize? And I go both ways with this, guys. I go both ways. And so I want to encourage you to personally make some boundaries in your life that help you answer those questions and and check your heart and your motives. And so some of those boundaries might look like committing that you are not going to share with other people when you meet a need. If those people have nothing to do with the situation, you're not going to let them know you did it. Or it could look like um, deciding that you're going to try to give anonymously when possible. And when it's not possible to to make it anonymous, you're creating an environment that when you give the gift, it's in private. 
And maybe you even say something like, you know, the Lord led me to do this and we can keep it between ourselves. We don't need to tell anybody else about it. Just create those boundaries. I don't know what it's gonna look like for all of you. It may look different, but I know that it's gonna hinge on privacy. And one thing that I'm learning is that when I bump up against my boundaries, when I give some, someone a need, and then I, I find myself about to talk about it in a conversation with people who had nothing to do with it, and it has nothing to do with the conversation, or maybe I give an anonymous gift, and then in the back of my head, I start thinking what it would be like if people found out that I gave anonymously, and it bumps up against it. I feel that tension, and I'm like, oh, that's why I have boundaries, to check my heart. And when those things arise, that's the time for me to go to God and pray the prayer of the psalmist. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Church, we are gonna fall short in our motives. It's gonna happen. And when it happens, that's the time for us to turn to him and admit it and ask for his help. He gave his one and only son. He so loved us. And if he so loved us that much, of course he wants us to come to him when our motives fall short. Of course he wants us to ask for his help. So create those boundaries. And then when you bump up against them, when you start to check your motives, turn to him. He is loving and kind, and it's his work in our hearts that's gonna change our motives. Here's another thing that we learn from Jesus in this passage. Giving to those in need has its rewards, and that's okay. It has its rewards, and that's okay. Jesus isn't challenging getting rewards. He's challenging who we get the rewards from. When you give to someone in need, don't do it as hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in synagogues and in streets, calling attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. That's their reward. They have received the reward they will get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. He doesn't say it's wrong to get rewards. He says, don't go after rewards from people. If he didn't want us to think about rewards at all, that verse would have ended with give your gifts in private, period. But it doesn't end like that. That's not what he says. He says, give your gifts in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. And there are other places in scripture where God talks about giving a reward to his people for the things that they've done. And one of those is Proverbs 19, 17. If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord and he will repay you. But hearing that, some of you still might not feel comfortable with that. Some of you still might feel like, well, Jesus should just tell us not to want rewards at all. Wouldn't that be the better thing? Or maybe you grew up in a tradition or had an experience where you heard things like, well, if you give this much money, then God's gonna give you this much money back. Or maybe you've heard people associate wealth with faith and poverty with lack of faith. And that is not this. That is not what we're talking about. I cannot stand on this stage and tell you, if you do X, then every single time God's gonna give you Y. 
That is not true. What is true is for the joy set before him. Jesus endured the cross, scorning his shame. For the joy set before him. Jesus went to the cross with a reward in mind. He went to the cross with a reward in mind. So we have to settle that it is okay to get rewards from God. It's not only okay, but God wants us to desire what he has for us. And I know from personal experience that some of those rewards we experience in this life, in this body, some of those are tangible, some of those are intangible. I bet if you ask anyone who served on the Dream Team at the West Ashley campus during the warming shelter over the winter, they would tell you that when they were moved by love to give to those in need, they had no idea how God was gonna bless them through that. I bet they would tell you they had no idea what they would receive in return. There were gifts that happened now, but there are also gifts that are coming. Second Corinthians says, for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will receive, we will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. And listen, that verse isn't talking about salvation because that's already been settled. Jesus has already given us that. It's a gift. It's not a transaction. So if it's not talking about salvation, it must be talking about rewards that we are gonna get later for good things that we have done now. Rewards that are so good. Guys, the word of God says that no eyes have seen, no ears have heard, no mind can fathom what God is preparing for us. Gifts that are so good that we're gonna get later if we choose not to get it now. So I have to ask you the question, what would you prefer? The lesser reward of people's praise? The lesser reward of attention? The lesser reward of pride in your accomplishments? All of those things are just clanging metal compared to what God has for us. On our best day, in our wildest dreams, we cannot even come close to imagining what he has for us. And all of us have the opportunity to go after those awards. All of us have the capacity to be givers motivated by love. It starts with us accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior and it continues every day throughout our life, living out of his righteousness, giving to people in need with a heart that is motivated by love and powered by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we love you, but we love you because you first loved us. By the power of your spirit, give us vision and motivation to run after your rewards and not the rewards of this world. And for those of us who are not in a relationship with you, Holy Spirit, stir in their hearts right now that they would not log off online, that they would not walk out of the doors of a physical campus without deciding where they're gonna spend eternity, without experiencing your love and your generosity. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name, amen.
Well, this is a time in all of our services where we just stop and we do business with God. We ask the question, what are you saying to me and what am I gonna do about it? And there are a number of ways that you can respond. And the first is for the people who have not professed Jesus as Lord and Savior. I wanna encourage you, settle that today. You can't love people without the love of God. And so if that's you, I wanna encourage you, if you're online, put it in the chat. Go to seacoast.org slash connect and say, I've made a decision to follow Christ. If you're in this room, I wanna encourage you, come to a member of our prayer team. Tell someone, let them pray over you. Let them tell you about some next steps. We've got New Believers Bibles. When I walked in the, the doors of Seacoast Church, I had grown up in the church, but I hadn't read a Bible. And on the first day, someone gave me a Bible that I could understand. Come and let us walk with you in the greatest thing that you will ever do in your life. And our prayer team, they're also gonna be there for any need that you have. Maybe you're like, Lynn, I know where I'm going. I know where I'm spending eternity. I love God. I'm moved by compassion for people, but I just haven't made it a practice of giving to those in need. Maybe you need to go to a cross and ask God to reveal to you why you're not doing that and pin that thing to the cross and say, I'm leaving this here and I'm walking with you. I'm gonna step out of my comfort. I'm gonna step out of convenience. Maybe you're thinking that you're overwhelmed and you just need to go to a candle. Maybe you're thinking, I don't have anything to give. I have so little, I have so much need. Go light a candle. There's nothing magical about the candles. That's a physical way of saying, God, shine your light into my situation. Show me how even in my life I have more than I think that I do. Even in my life, I have something to give. For some of you, you want to join with the church. You wanna amplify what you can give to people and you're gonna give your gifts and offerings in the tithe boxes. That we would take a small amount from everyone and we would be able to go out into our communities and our world and make a difference. And then we're all gonna stand up and we're gonna sing and we're gonna worship a God who so loved us that he gave his only son, who so loved us when we were needy that we would learn how to give to those in need. So what is God saying to you and how are you gonna respond? Let's respond together.